0: Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we commit our time to you right now, we ask for your Holy Spirit to give to us a fresh courage, a desire to be your ambassadors, to not hold anything back. And thank you for, in the face of persecution, you've told us that we don't have to be afraid. So we thank you for that. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're continuing our study in Matthew this morning, so let's turn together in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. And in a few moments I'll be reading from verses 24 through 42 as we look at the message together. If you've been with us recently, you've heard a lot about discipleship. Heard it last week, two weeks ago, because Jesus was picking his 12 disciples or 12 apostles... Understand from Matthew chapter 10 verses 1 through 23, the process we looked at two weeks ago is a great process. And we saw at that time there was a lot of good news for the 12 later it became known as the apostles. They were 12 disciples chosen, for, chosen from among many others. And so a lot of good news for them. Just real briefly, you may recall some of that good news involved the fact that the things that mark an apostle, the signs and the wonders and the miracles were given to those particular 12 individuals after Jesus had prayed all night before selecting them. Then he called them to himself. It was something that was very personal. He selected them from a large pool of disciples, maybe hundreds of possibilities. They weren't picked because there were no other choices. And he granted them the privilege of being not just disciples or learners or followers, but to be apostles sent on special missions. So the Lord Jesus gave to them great honor, great privilege, great adventure. So there was a lot of good things that were going on for them. They became totally unique. The early believers devoted themselves to the apostles teaching so a lot of good news that was happening all at one particular time. But then from our perspective, there was also some bad news. And that was the latter part of those verses we looked at a couple of weeks ago. They were told that they would be like sheep in the middle of wolves. Not a good place to be. You don't want to be ringed by wolves. That's when they do the most damage. These wolves, though, would be humans. They would be humans And the Lord Jesus said, Beware of men. Beware of them, because what are they going to do to you? What are they going to do to those of you who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, those of you who are special disciples and then carrying on down to our day? What are they going to do? They're going to take you to court. They're going to flog you. They're going to drag you before government leaders. Family members are going to sell each other out. You'd be hated by all because of Jesus' sake. You'd have to flee persecution. I think that's interesting. They were told to flee persecution. They weren't on suicide missions. Their mission wasn't going to be accomplished until the Lord Jesus came back again. It was going to take a long time to accomplish what the Lord wanted to have accomplished for them. Now, picking up where we left off, I asked myself this question. Why will disciples be persecuted? Why is that going to happen? And we see it in verses 24 and 25 in Matthew chapter 10. So let's pick up our story there. Why will disciples be persecuted? A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, and you'll see that referred to as Beelzebub sometimes as well, how much more will they malign those of his household? Well, why will disciples be persecuted? It comes with the territory. It comes from being associated with the person of the Lord Jesus Christ because if they are going to reject him, they are going to reject us as well. We saw before in 2 Timothy 3.12, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus may be persecuted. Is that what that says? No, that's will be. Persecuted. It comes with the territory. Why will disciples be persecuted? Because if you want to name the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, all the animosity that people direct toward him is going to be directed toward you as well. In the scripture that was just read a few moments ago, in Philippians 1, 29 and 30, for it has been granted to you. It's a gift. It's been given to us by the Lord. It's a great privilege on behalf of Christ, not just to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. We've been given that as a privilege. Why will disciples be persecuted? It comes with the territory. And not only that, it is a great privilege for us to suffer persecution for the Lord Jesus he says, you're going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. It doesn't go away, not during their lifetime, not during the generations that follow, not during our lifetime. It takes different forms. As we look at around our own world today, we see the persecution is absolutely ugly in some places. And for some of us, we think we're being persecuted because somebody ridicules us or somebody makes fun of us. and We think that's a big persecution. It's somewhat, but it's certainly not rivaling what goes on elsewhere in the world. One of the commentaries quotes on Matthew 10 verses 24 and 25 and says this. The disciples of the Lord would often have occasion to wonder why they should have to endure ill treatment. If Jesus was the Messiah, why were his followers suffering instead of reigning? In verses 24 and 25, he anticipates their perplexity and answers it by reminding them of their relationship to him. They were the disciples. He was their teacher. They were servants. He was their master. They were members of the household. He was the master of the house. Discipleship means following the teacher, not being superior to him. The servant should not expect to be treated better than his master. If men call the worthy master of the house Beelzebub, they will hurl even greater insults at the members of his household. Discipleship involves sharing the master's rejection. So if they called the real master of the entire universe Beelzebul or Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? Beelzebul, Beelzebub was tantamount to saying Satan. They were basically saying that this Jesus is Satan, and Jesus was saying if they're going to persecute me as Satan, they're certainly going to persecute you. They're going to do it a lot more. It's very interesting the word Beelzebub—it's L in our translation here—but Beelzebub has a Greek form. Is the Greek form from Baalzebub, the god, the false god they used to worship Baal. This was Baalzebub, Lord of the Flies. The Jews called him, made reference to him. That was a parody or a mockery of the actual epithet, exalted Baal or Baal the Prince, and that name came to be used of Satan. We can see it a couple chapters later in Matthew, Matthew twelve twenty four. when the Pharisees heard this, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Well, if they're going to do that of Jesus, they're certainly going to do that of those who are his followers as well. Being part of God's family marks us as targets. I thought about something that happened during my childhood when I was reading through here and studying through here. Something that happened during my childhood, it's kind of like guilt by association. Sometimes we're guilty because we associate with the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's a good kind of guilt to have, but the world doesn't think so, but we can think that ourselves. But I can remember as a young boy being a PK or a pastor's kid, I can remember there were times when My brother, my sister, myself, or all of us would go out onto our porch and across the street from our house there was this little field, not really a field, but between two houses, nothing had been built. I can remember a number of times there were community kids. They didn't have a part in the church. They were antagonistic toward the things of the Lord. I can remember them shouting this at us any number of times, shut the gates of hell up on you. Now, where in the world was that coming from? It was guilt by association. It wasn't because they thought I was righteous, or my brother or my sister. It was because my dad was, and my mom was, and they stood for something. And my dad preached against hell. My dad preached against things that were maybe not so popular to preach against in the neighborhood. but. We were guilty by association because we were part of a family. The same thing happens with the Lord Jesus Christ. When we're part of his family and we're not ashamed to be named as part of that and we let people know that we're his ambassadors, uh, there is a price to pay. So these kids would do all sorts of other things to us besides shouting those kinds of things, but um, none of them were pleasant. But it wasn't because of our righteousness. It was because we were part of a family family where our father and our mother were indeed righteous. Why will disciples be persecuted? They'll be persecuted because they are following the one that was rejected by many, many people and continues to be rejected. How are we to handle the persecution? I'd like you to read along with me as I read beginning with verse 26 now. How are we to handle this persecution? So have no fear of them them being those who are calling the followers of the Lord Jesus worse than Satan, uh, those that are mentioned in the verses before. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. That's going to take a lot of courage to be able to do something like that. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. How are we to handle persecution? Well, look at the verses again. Maybe these will jump out at you. They jumped out at me. Look, verse 26, so have no fear of them. Verse 28, and do not fear them. Verse 31, fear not. How are we supposed to handle persecution? We have to understand the reality of it. It's going to happen. It will happen. But we can't be afraid. We don't need to be afraid because Jesus told us that, and he gives us a lot of good reasons why we don't have to be afraid. So handling persecution, first of all, in verse 26, don't be afraid of the persecutors. That's the first thing that we're told. We don't have to be afraid of them. Everything's going to come out into the open. The truth will be known. Everything will come out in the open according to the verses that follow, or according to verse 26. We can speak the truth without reservation. We can speak boldly. That's the point that's being made there. But then secondly, according to verse 28, don't be afraid of those who are limited to what they can do to your body only. All they can do is hurt our body. They might even kill us. Do you know the Christian's reaction to that? Who cares? Is that all they can do? All they can do is hurt my body or kill me? That's not a bad thing for a believer. Now, I have to be very careful. I don't want to tempt anybody in here to say, I want to take a shortcut. Heaven's a great place, and I want to be there right away. Um, no, there's only one who holds the keys of life and death appropriately. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He turns the keys whenever he wants to, not when we want to. But it says here they may kill the body, but they cannot kill the soul. Physical death is not the supreme tragedy for the Christian. To die is to be with Christ. The Apostle Paul said to die is gain. For to me to live is Christ. To die is gain. To be with Christ is better than anything we've ever known. We get delivered from sin, Satan, sorrow, sickness, suffering, separation from God. All that's gone. It ushers us into eternal glory so that the worst thing that people can do to us in a real sense is the best thing that can happen to us. And again, no shortcuts. Don't dishonor the Lord by thinking, I agree with that. That sounds good. I'm going through a real hard time, so I'll take a shortcut. No shortcuts. But physical death is not the supreme tragedy for a Christian. Jesus went on to say in the second part of verse 28, if you want someone to fear, fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Well, who's that? Who can destroy our body and our soul in hell? Some people believe that that's a reference to Satan, but it is not. Satan is not the king of hell. Satan is just the most notorious prisoner of hell. He's not the one that we fear. He's not the one who holds life and death in his hands. It's actually God in view here. He is the one who has that power. So what Jesus is saying, yes, I tell you, fear him. We don't have to be afraid of people, but we do need to fear God. Hold him in awe. Reverence him. Respect him. Yes, be afraid of him if you're defying him, then you should be afraid of him. But he is not one to be trifled with. Obey him. I want to say something that's not very popular today. I want to say that there is a real hell and you don't want to go there. It is awful. It is horrible. It is a literal place. And not many people are saying that anymore. Not many people want to hear that. Not many many people want to preach that. You do a word study of the word hell that is here before us right now the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. The word Gehenna will show up in this context. There are other words that are sometimes translated hell, but in the Gospels and one time in James, this word Gehenna is used. It is a vivid portrayal of some place that nobody ever wants to go. It's the Greek representation of the Hebrew Gehinnom or Valley of Hinnom which was a deep, narrow glen to the south of Jerusalem that would have been very well known to the people of that day. After the introduction of the worship of the fire gods by Ahaz back in the Old Testament, the idolatrous Jews sacrificed their children to a false god, Moloch. King Josiah formally desecrated the spot so that no man may make his son or daughter pass through the fire to Moloch ever again. That's in Second Kings 23. After this, it became the common refuse place of the city into which the bodies of criminals, carcasses of animals, and all sorts of filth were cast. From its depth and narrowness and its fire and ascending smoke, it became the symbol of the place of the future punishment of the wicked. An awful place, according to the Scriptures. We fear the one who can assign us there for all of eternity. We don't fear people who persecute us, who make fun of us, who ridicule us, who could even destroy our body. Again, theologically, the reaction to that is, so what? So what if that's all they can do to me? If all they can do is hurt this body, I mean, this body's hurting itself enough as time goes on, isn't it? If all they can do is hurt this body, then who cares? And that's a that's a very clear point from the Scriptures. The words of Jesus in verse 28 evoke memories of saintly man by the name of John Knox, the leader of the Scottish Reformation. They referred to him as being like the blast of 500 trumpets. He was a little feisty. He um, also had a nice beard that I think you can see that. His epitaph reads this very significantly. Here lies one who feared God so much, that he never feared the face of any man. That's a godly man who doesn't worry about persecution, who doesn't worry about maybe possibly offending somebody by speaking the truth in love. How are we to handle the persecution? We can't be afraid of the persecutors. We're not afraid of those who can only harm our body. And we have to understand that we're of great value to God. That's what verses 29 through 31 tell us. We are of great value to God. And because we are of great value, he says, fear not. You don't have to be afraid. He illustrates for us how we are of great value. I don't know how many of you like birds. I love birds. We have five, maybe six bird feeders at our house. Uh, this is a picture of a common sparrow. The sparrow is very similar to the one that's mentioned here in the scriptures. Sparrows then and now are very common and very inexpensive. Sparrows were thought at that time to be the smallest of all the creatures. The penny that you would use was one-sixteenth of a day's wage. That means you could have gotten one sparrow for one-thirty-seconds of a day's wage, if you do the math that is there. Uh, They're not very expensive at all. But we're told, despite that, not one sparrow will fall to the ground apart from your father. That part, will fall to the ground, can also be translated, will not hop on the ground. Will not hop on the ground or fall to the ground without your father's knowledge of that, without his care for that little sparrow. I used to look at sparrows when they would come to our bird feeder as junk birds. Say Just the sparrow. Who wants a sparrow? I'd, I'd rather have a better bird than that. I'd rather have a bird that's a little bit maybe more magnificent than that. And then I, I got to thinking about it. If if the father notices when a sparrow is hopping along and he notices the sparrow, he's got room for the sparrow. So I've got room for the sparrows now, too. I wrote an article for um, Women's Ministries, one of the publications one time about that, this, this whole idea that sparrows can become very, very significant. We, we understand the theology behind that. So the sparrows, when they come to your bird feeder, don't look at them as junk birds. Look at them as some who remind us of the great love of the Father for us as well. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 26, it talks about other birds as well. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Now, these are some pretty good-looking birds. I would dare say that you haven't had one of those at your feeder for any time recently. Um, I know I haven't. But the point here: Look at the birds of the air. Look at all of them. It doesn't matter how exotic they are. We have friends who saw an eagle this week um, down at uh, John Hines. And uh, if you want to go there, they're they're present. Uh, great birds. But here's the good news: You're not for the birds. You're more valuable than that. Much more valuable than the birds. And that's why when we come to chapter 10, verse 31, fear not, you are more value than many sparrows and many of these other birds. It tells us in other scriptures much more valuable than any of those. So much so that I love this song. I've loved it from the time I was a child. His eye is on the sparrow. How many of you know his eye is on the sparrow? Um, most of you. Uh, it's a beautiful song. Why should I feel discouraged, it starts out. Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. And then there's a refrain. How many of you would like to sing the refrain? Enough of you. Join me.
1: I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. For his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches
0: me. Good news, there's another verse. (laughs) Let not your heart be troubled. His tender word I hear. And resting on his goodness, I lose my doubts and fears. Though by the path he leadeth, but one step I may see. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. How many of you would like to sing another refrain? Is there anybody that would? Rosie will. If Rosie's singing, I'm with you. Okay. (laughs) I sing
1: because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free for his eyes on the sparrow and I know he watches me.
0: Even better news, there's a third verse. Whenever I am tempted, whenever clouds arise, when songs give place to sighing, when hope within me dies... I draw the closer to him. From care he sets me free. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Rosie, do you want to go for a hat trick? Go for three? Okay, let's go for three. In our new members class today, we were explaining that, do you realize that 95% of what you only hear, you will forget within 72 hours? Think about that. 95% of what you hear, you will forget. I have found myself all week long singing this song, humming this song. That's why I want to leave this with you. So let's join again one more time. I sing because I'm happy.
1: I sing because I'm free. For His eyes on the sparrow and i know he watches me
0: who said that who's jesus so think about that and i hope you'll sing that during the week at least through the day it gets even better because We are understanding that we're of great value to God. Jesus said that, and he said, you're worth more than the birds. You're worth more than the sparrows and all the other birds as well. Not only that, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Some of you say, that's no big deal. (laughs) And some of you say, hey, that's impressive. Do you realize hair density depends upon your race and also your hair color? Caucasians have the highest hair density. The growth rate is average. Blacks have medium density and slowest growing hair. Asians have the lowest density but the fastest growing hair. In Caucasians, people with blonde hair, I'm not going to go there, have an average of 140,000 hairs. And red-haired individuals will have the least density with an average of 90,000 hairs. That's still a whole lot of hairs. Flesh-colored heads, this is my own research, this wasn't in the article. Flesh-colored heads have no density and very few or no hairs. <laughs> but even the hairs on our head are numbered by a Father who knows and cares for us. And we are of great Value. It's another reason why we don't have to worry about the persecutors. There's somebody who's in control. It's not us and it's not them. It's the one who can count all the hairs. I, I challenged the mathematicians this morning and um, maybe the actuarials among us, the, any any bean counters also that would like to do this. Between now and the end of the service, if you look around, and by gender and race, if you can estimate the amount of hairs that are in this room, Take a lot of math, but estimate the number of hairs and see how grandiose the Heavenly Father is, simply if that were the only great thing about him. That's pretty big all by itself. want us to uh, think about verses 34 through 39 also, as we're thinking in terms of how we're supposed to respond to persecution. Realize that disciples were not sent out to play it safe. That was never the intent, it was never the goal, and it should never be something that we fall into. I won't take the time this morning to reread those verses, but if you glance at verses 34 through 39, you understand why I'm saying what I'm about to say. Our goal in life is not peace at any cost. It was not Jesus' goal. Our ambition is not to avoid rocking the boat. We don't get up in the morning and say, how can I play it safe? We're not intent on being politically correct if that means to be biblically ashamed. And looking further at those verses, we do not worship our families, but we worship the Lord. It is more important that we please him than we please even our family members. The costs will be very high to be a real disciple. Think about some of the early disciples. This a picture of the catacombs on the screen right now. Over a period of some 300 years of terrible persecution, Ten generations of Christians dug nearly 600 miles of catacombs beneath and around the city of Rome. Archaeologists estimate that perhaps a total of four million bodies were buried there. During the most prolonged period of persecution in the history of the church, those believers revered God more than they feared man. And that's the purpose of the message this morning to make sure that we're fearing God more than we're fearing human beings. That's why it says so often, don't be afraid. We're looking again, chapter 10, we're looking at the verses, verse 26, so have no fear of them. Verse 28, do not fear. Verse 31, fear not. That's the message that is here. If we look at that for any length of time, it jumps out at us. You don't have to be afraid of any ridicule or scorn or persecution because there's somebody who's a lot better than the persecutors and a lot bigger than they are. What's in it for those who respond to the disciples' teaching? Notice there's a reward. And we can pick up that reward as we're reading through here in verse 40. Whoever receives you... See, this isn't just talking about the apostles now. It's talking about those to whom the torch is passed, those that respond because there are those who are not afraid to give the message. Whoever receives you, receives me, and whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. God the Father. What a great reward that is. Next verse, the one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person, that that would be the disciples here. The one who receives you, a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. So God is saying, I'm going to make it to the advantage of everyone to receive you. I'm on your side. I'm with you. And whoever gives one of these little ones, that's referring to disciples. We'll see it in the immediate context right away. Whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple. Truly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. There's a bottom line here. Bottom line is in John sixteen thirty three, The Lord Jesus is again speaking, and he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. I want to close with a story. story that I trust will be a challenge to us. From among the finest athletes in the Roman Empire, Nero selected a group called the Emperor's Wrestlers. Their motto was, and I'll put it on the screen, we the wrestlers, wrestling for thee, O Emperor, to win for thee the victory, and from thee the victor's crown. So that's what these athletes, special athletes who were also soldiers, had the motto. The wrestlers also were soldiers, were often sent out on special military campaigns on a certain mission in Gaul, which is modern France. Many of the wrestlers were converted to Christ. That wasn't supposed to happen. That wasn't in the emperor's plans. But can't help it. Upon hearing the news, Nero ordered the commander, Vespasian, to execute any wrestler who refused to renounce Christ and swear religious as well as military allegiance to the emperor. The emperor's orders were received in the dead of winter as the men were encamped on the shore of a frozen lake. When Vespasian assembled the soldiers and asked how many were Christians, 40 men stepped forward, hoping not to lose any of these fine men, many of whom were his friends. He gave them until sundown the next day to reconsider. But at the given hour, all of them still refused to renounce Christ. In order that they may not die at the hands of their comrades, The commander ordered the 40 men to disrobe and walk naked out onto the ice. Throughout the night, the soldiers on shore could hear the 40 sentenced men singing triumphantly, 40 wrestlers wrestling for thee, O Christ, to win for thee the victory, and from thee the victor's crown. The singing grew fainter as morning neared. And at dawn, a lone figure walked back and approached the fire. He confessed that his faith was not strong enough to face death. When Vespasian then heard the faint strains of 39 wrestlers wrestling for thee, O Christ, he was so moved that he threw off his armor and clothes and marched out to join the others, shouting as he went, 40 wrestlers wrestling for thee, O Christ, to win for thee the victory, and from thee the victors crown there's always room for others to step up when some have defected when some have not been able to pay the price when some who have been not willing to face the persecution and the difficulty always room for others to step up to be with christ and gain the real victor's crown i trust and i trust with all of my heart that there be none among us who are undercover christians no undercover believers, none who are chameleons, none who are one thing here and something else again at school, something else at work, something else in the community, something else anywhere else, that we'd be not ashamed of the gospel, we not be ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's always room for others to step up to join those who defect. Heavenly Father, it's quite a challenge to be a disciple Quite a challenge to be a true follower, a true believer. Help us to truly be what you want us to be. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.